0: Hello, my name is Corey Durbin, and you have found Running Eyes. In this podcast, we will take a deep dive into the relationships, strategies, and global mission of Alliance for Shared Health to change healthcare and change lives. Sometimes we will travel on parallel paths with others who have dared to journey through the challenges of life in pursuit of a purpose bigger than self. As we travel these roads together, I believe you will find encouragement from either their connection to Ash or their resolve for the commitment and strength it takes to vigilantly pursue their passions. Welcome to Running Eyes. I am joined today by my good friend, Kristen Ernst. Kristen is a licensed professional counselor for over eight years. She's the owner of the Center for Hope and Healing. Uh, She regularly speaks about mental health and self-care, and she writes multiple blogs, uh, uh, typically on topics like hospice, funeral service, end-of-life care, those kind of things. And uh, there is so much going on, uh, especially pre- and post pandemic regarding yes. various mental health issues that uh, it seemed appropriate. I've taken a bit of a hiatus from our regular podcast. It is good to be back live and in studio with so my good friend, Kristen here. Ernst. Yay. Kristen, how are you?
1: I am doing well. I'm so excited that you're here and that we get to do this together and our worlds collide once again. So I love that.
0: Thanks for taking the time. You uh, don't have a schedule that is typically very free these days.
1: No, no I... Purchased the Center for Hope and Healing about a year ago um, in the pandemic. I was working as a director of grief services for Bowie Funeral Homes, which is a local funeral home here. And um, I was part of their communication and community relations and then doing a lot of counseling there as well for tragic loss and sudden loss. And working with hospice companies, of course. And then during the pandemic, they came in and said we have to let you go wow. and then they said but would you like to buy our center for hope and healing and i said yes <laughs> i jumped up at that opportunity so um it's a real honor to not only be here but be here a year after owning a business in the pandemic and never thought that would happen um so i'm i'm really excited
0: so they they said y- we have to let you go or you can buy the business yeah <laughs> and I yeah. go, well which is better yeah. actually having all the headaches or just some of the headaches right so. it's been the
1: best of both worlds cuz i'm kind of a, i'm a contracted employer for them i still do a lot of um things for the funeral home uh events and and, and speaking uh, for them on their behalf but but then own the center so it's been great
0: and the funeral home is
1: Bowie funeral Bowie. Homes. Yeah. i
0: was working under that assumption and yeah you have a, a connection to, to Bowie.
1: I do, full circle. So when I, um, in 2004, my son died mm. of, um, of um, he needed a double lung transplant. And um, my, my good friends, Corey and Summer were there during mm. all of that. Um, he was not able to get the double lung transplant in time and we had to take him off of ECMO, which is a lung and heart bypass machine. So that was a very, very difficult time in our lives and um I we used Bowie Funeral Homes um when when he died and had his service there so when I was hired there um it was like I just felt like it was a full circle that like God had used that that pain um and and difficult time to to help others because as you know like I, I went once Aiden died I was insatiable as far as my grief goes I was reading every book and trying to get hands on going to counselors and trying to get my hands on everything to do gr- grief right um, trying to do it the right way and uh, what I found in my journey is there's no real right way to do it mm-hmm. and um, which also caused me to go back and get my um, master's in counseling and and try and help others um, kind of companion them through it versus treating them and sending them on their way um, It's a very different philosophy and grief counseling versus different different sex of counseling
0: well so often i think the place we get to in our lives is birthed out of our own hurt or sometimes our own even our own i don't know it can be successes but sometimes the successes come from overcoming hurt yeah i would define where you are as success i don't know if that's how you would look at it and those those days are days it's it's interesting because i think we tend to There are things we compartmentalize. It's probably easier for us, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about my wife and I, to compartmentalize that because it isn't our experience. And when you remind me of the date and the time and talk about ECMO machines and like all of my, I go go back there very quickly. So there's a place in my mind where that's very real. And uh, so I've told you this before and I know my wife has, we we so admire your courage and Mm -hmm. You know you, you've been doing what you've been doing for eight years and 2004 was the the four days of life that your son Aiden yeah. had
1: yeah
0: and so it, it took took a while to get to the point where you are today huh with Very your so. where you are in your career yeah. and is there what do you what do you attribute to uh, getting to where you are now and the, the, the services that you provide and the career you have
1: well we went to so um, Background story is that when things weren't going well in my marriage, which um, child loss, there's an 80% divorce rate. So um, things weren't going well in the marriage, and we went to several um, several counselors, um, whether they were um, licensed professional counselors that were specifically Christian or we went to pastors. And, and my husband had started cheating a lot mm. through... Um, through the marriage mm. and then blaming it on the grief. And so, um, we went to several pastors and several people that just said, you know, just try and forgive and walk through this together. And, um, so I did that for a certain amount of years. And then, um, did that, that I went to another counselor that, um, she, uh, my ex had like my ex-husband now had stormed out of the office, was really angry. And she looked at me and she said, do you think he's gonna keep on doing this? Mm. And I said, I don't know. And she said, do you think he'll take care of you when you're old? And I thought to myself, he hasn't taken care of me at all. Wow. And so, and this isn't to bash him at all. This was just like, oh my gosh. Like, like this awakening. was a wake up call mm-hmm. to, um, I think that I had other underlying mental health issues prior and and layered with the Christianity, it was it was almost like this perfect storm of like I was just seeking God, and 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 I really believe that God put this this counselor on my path to be like this is this is something you have to work on. This is your own self worth that you have to to improve. Um, and and so that caused me to leave and then go uh go back to school. Which that whole um me going back to school was an amazing testimony in which I didn't know where I was going to get the money from. I didn't know how I was going to do that. And my dad is a financial planner, and he had done uh, well for this this gentleman. And he said, hey, you know, you've done so well for me. If there's anything that I can do for you, you let me know. Mm-hmm. And how many times do people say that to us? And we don't ever really ask. We were like, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, or that's great. Yeah. do they
0: really mean it? Right, you know? right.
1: And so my dad knew what I was going through and said, actually, my daughter, he was a big... Um, he was a big wig at uh, Lindenwood, to make okay. that story short. And um, he's, he said, I'm retiring. I'm moving to Arizona. And um, why don't you have your daughter come in and talk to me? So I went in and talked to him. And and uh, he said, you know, I have I have had people help me in my life and my journey. And now I'm moving in and and moving to Arizona. And I just feel like I'm supposed to help you. And I'm going to pay for your master's program. And so... That he, had
0: to hit you Oh, hard.
1: I, I was like... Balling my eyes out there were like eight people there because he was leaving so he was like so and so is going to take care of you and get you admitted and so and so is going to do this for you he had like stipulations of like um you know you have to go straight through and you have to have like basically a 3.5 GPA and all those kinds of things which I was fine with of course and I walked out of there crying just feeling like because I had felt so depleted and so down and how was I going to do this and then that was like that
0: so, yeah
1: this was like that that you know, that universe saying, Okay, no, you've got this, you've got this and Mm -hmm. people kind of rallying behind me. So, um, I, you know, went right into um right into my program and I just knew that I was that I was gonna help people not only with um my heart was to teach people about grief and about trauma and uh work on self-esteem and self-worth. All the things that I have had to work on because I have continued that journey. Like I don't I would never go to a counselor that hasn't Gone to a counselor, like that's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I continue to to kind of improve in my own journey and and work on things that I know I need to work on. And with that with that counselor, that I really believe saved my life in many many ways. Um, so that's that's where we are today. I mean, I um, work with a lot of clients that are um, dealing with eating disorders, uh, grief and trauma, sudden loss survivors of suicide um people are always like gosh isn't that depressing isn't that really depressing and i'm, and I'm like it's meaningful work it's, mm. it's really meaningful work it's hard but well, i love it
0: thank you first of all thank you for doing what you're doing uh you. it's we are made more and more aware of it in what we do with our health share program and uh the members that that our customer care team works with every day and second of all and maybe first is I'm really sorry you had to go through that um mm-hmm. post your son's death and we're we're friends so we've had yeah. this conversation before but I, I want to just acknowledge that that's no yeah. one should have to go through that. Thank you. Uh and it's out of these challenges that you, what makes it, it tends to make us mm-hmm. and sometimes the making is a really painful thing to go through isn't yeah. it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree, but it's a part of that like uh, you know, like burning out the bad stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's really an important part of the journey is for us to go through that, that stuff. And, and then I, I know that people come to me because they know I've had child loss, you know, I'm able to understand that in a way that other counselors can't. I've had somebody, I don't want to get into like shop talk, but I had uh, somebody come to me and say, I've been grieving the loss of my son who suicided and I, my last counselor was trying to use cognitive behavioral therapy on me, meaning get rid of the negative thoughts by replacing them with positive ones. And that doesn't work in grief. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like just kind of like uh, bulldozing um, your emotions and that's not that's not a good thing. So,
0: you know, the the advice one decides to listen to is critical too and sure. you were mentioning going through the the counseling with your ex-husband and the sort of advice of Christian counselors of forgive and go through this with each other. And, you know, there's part of that, right? And Mm -hmm. just got me thinking, I've said this before and what we do. Yeah, we run a health share ministry. And yes, I'm not afraid to say that I'm, that I'm Christian. And sometimes working with Christians is the worst thing Uh. that I experience And when people lead with that, that's who they are. I want to know by what I see you do, not by what you tell me. Yeah. And, you know, you can... I don't know if this was your situation, but you can get into these counseling sessions that turn into church speak instead of... Let's oh. let's talk about this in terms of the real world. You yeah. You know where I'm going oh, with that? Oh, exactly.
1: I say to a lot of people that I really love Jesus. I don't like his friends very much. <laughs> and I think that that's, um, pretty congruent with how I feel about, I am really careful. We are, um, almost in a culture of church. I think sometimes when we've been in church and grown up in the church and, 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 um, I try and allow people in counseling and my sessions to just be real. You know, I wasn't really allowed to say that I was angry. Oh, at one point I said in a a, a session one time, I'm really angry at my husband for cheating on me again. I'm really angry. And the counselor said, it's fine to be angry as long as you don't sin in your anger. And she recited the verse about David not, you know, lying on his bed and not being in anger.
0: Like, what Uh, does that mean? OK, you
1: know. now what? What do I do with that? What do I do with that anger? What, mm-hmm. Where do I go with it? Where do I place it? I think that those are the things that we need to really be discussing in mental health is that, you know, um, and that the church needs to be addressing in mental health, honestly, is that we can um, trust God and we can do all the things and we can and, and go that route. But I am finding more and more that people are needing tangible skills, yeah. you know, to, to be able to apply to their lives to feel better.
0: Right, and and trusting God, uh, th- there's a I think there's a misconception at least in my mind that trusting God means y- you just sort of roll over and let mm-hmm. yourself get bulldozed. Right. And that probably is more true unfortunately of a thought process for women than men. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can happen on both sides yeah. and I, I'm yeah, not I've seen it both, uh, yeah. you know, un- un- unconscious or oblivious to that fact. And I just say, you know, that doesn't mean I just willy-nilly accept all of this crap that is happening to me. And, you you know, that mentality has to change, I think. Right. And the stigma that divorce is some unpardonable sin. I'm not here advocating divorce, but there are times when it's not safe to stay in the situation that you're in.
1: Right. And it wasn't safe um, at all. So, um, yeah, I think that... The message that I try and um, convey, not only in my life, but in my practice, is that lo- God is love. And love means accepting people as they are, as they come to you, and and not trying to fix them, but mm-hmm. just validate where they are in their experience.
0: Right, right.
1: And then once that happens, people, especially in grief, um, once somebody says, you know, I had a grief group just the other day that someone said, I don't want to live. Mm. I don't want to... And now this wasn't somebody that was suicidal, but they just, their, their person died and they feel like their right arm was severed and they don't know how to, you know, they don't know how to move on in life or move through in life. We well, never say move on, by the way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he w- was saying, um, I just don't want to live. And once he said that in the group, everyone in the group was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that because I feel that way too. Mm. And e- it validated everything that. Everyone was feeling in the room, just no one feel, felt like they could say.
0: Saying it doesn't mean right. you're doing it. Yeah. And we had talked to Dr. Todd Frisch, you know Todd. Yes. And one of the things, he conveyed a story or relayed a story of a woman that that he was helping um, mm-hmm. through facial diagnosis, and she had some skin issues, eczema issues, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. and and he said well that's not the issue the issue is some underlying stuff you have going on with x y and z in your life and people can go back and listen I yeah. I wouldn't say the story correctly anyway the point is once she verbalized it she said what do i do about it yeah. and his answer was you just did
1: you know mm, so this you
0: whole you mm-hmm. you said it and instead of internalizing it and so that yeah. that hits home for me when Oh yeah, that.
1: research shows that um, we're learning so much more about the brain. But there's a direct co- or co- correlation, excuse me, between trauma and autoimmune diseases, and how tra- like people have not been able to voice their trauma, and like this correlates into like things staying in the body, and then making us sick. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's why mental health is such a huge, huge part of our overall health. Um, because it does, it it does play into everything else. Right. It does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you've gone through this. I love having our guests get known a little bit. I think all of this becomes more real when sure. the real there's a realization that we all have a story and maybe we'll bounce back and forth a little bit between your story and and some of the things that you're doing now. And I, I'd like to shift gears a little bit to some of the things that are going on you feel like here maybe pre and post pandemic Mm -hmm. but what's going on with uh, the clients that you're seeing not necessarily specific issues although that may be the case but what what i think is probably an uptick in mental health issues and Mm -hmm. is that can you can you speak to that just a little bit
1: so um part of that we haven't mentioned part of my background is in suicide intervention and prevention and um, I worked at a life life crisis services, which is a um, national hotline, actually. That's like in St. Louis, which is so great to awesome. have that that yeah. resource here. Um, and so um, that that experience was rich, first of all. Um, it taught me how to safety plan with people and recognize that just because someone is suicidal doesn't mean that they need to be hospitalized right away. Like this, the, some people are suicidal every day mm. um, and so how do we how do we you know, how do we find um, you know how do we treat these people how do we how do we help them so what I have seen in the pandemic though is that this isolation has raised the feelings of hopelessness um, suicidal ideation we're just seeing a huge increase for people that were grieving. Um, we we saw this a lot. People that lost loved ones, not even necessarily to COVID, but to other things, were not able to have funerals, not able to you know celebrate their loved one and memorialize their loved one, and so that whole process is put on hold. For people that say that time heals all wounds, not. I mean, I could say a cuss word right now. That's not true. So it's. It, the time does not heal all wounds. I had a, a woman come into my office who had had a loss 35 years ago, a tragic loss. But then in that she had to raise her boys alone. They were young boys and she had to like, just move forward In crisis. We kind of have this tunnel vision and that's what she had to do to get through. And then she was coming into my office 35 years later because she had remarried just recently and her husband had cancer. And she said, It's bringing up all of the old stuff. So we hold on to that. We carry it with us always. Um, And what I have found in the pandemic is that people are, their grief is on pause. It's been on hold because we have to, um, in order to move through our grief, we have to have it witnessed by other people. That's why I think that I did well, honestly, is because I had friends like you and Summer and other people that were listening to me and saying, and I could sit with them and say, I just can't believe this happened. And you guys just sat with us. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be witnessed, and for people to be isolated in their grief and not be able to go and have lunch with a friend, or not be able to go to a grief group. That's why I started online grief groups, is because I felt like, gosh, we have to do something. We can't, we can't do, we, we can't meet in person. That's how do
0: your on- online grief groups work?
1: So, they're um, a, a Zoom platform, and um, people register for them and 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 then come. And a lot of a lot of times, I always have people. I, I do a, an education element to it, but then I always have people um, say their name, their loved one's name, because as we say our loved one's name, we want to talk about them. We want to we we not only want to talk about them, we want to hear their name, because as we get through our grief, people stop talking. They don't want to upset you. They don't want to do anything to make you feel any kind of a negative emotion. So um, I always have them say their name, their loved one's name, and how long it's been since they died. And um, that kind of just gives everyone, um, there is no timeline to grief, but um, people are able to say, oh, your loved one died three months ago. Are you are you really angry right now? Because I'm really angry. And then they, uh, there's this connection because grief is so isolating anyway. So if you take grief in that isolation and then, Put it on top of the pandemic. I, like, even as things are starting to open up again, people are, are so anxious. I don't know if you've noticed that. People are so anxious to even get out and do stuff.
0: What percentage of the people that, you know, rough guess, yeah. do you think internalize everything? That oh, they, they're so used to, they don't think that they should take up space or maybe it's where they were they were the third child or they're the mm-hmm. whatever and kind of the baby in the corner is that how common is that
1: i think that they the unfortunate part is i don't get to see those that many of those people because they're not coming to counseling right <laughs> they're not coming to grief groups those um those are the people that are pretty um not um, not emotionally uh, for lack of better words not very emotionally intelligent people um that are um needing to talk about their grief well you know how many times do you say to people like just as you're walking through we have this tendency and it happens in counseling too where i'll just this morning i had an appointment and someone's i said uh how are you doing she goes okay and then she gets and sits in the chair and she goes i'm here i'm terrible like i'm struggling i don't even and i just think that we are in that tendency to just even whether it be to people on the street or in the church or even our friends, we don't really, we're not really authentic. Um, right. We're afraid to be authentic.
0: Have you ever heard uh, Matthew West's song, Truth Be Told? No. I'll have to listen to it oh, because yeah. it makes me think of that. Yeah. And The song is essentially, you know, the him saying, Truth be told, I'm not okay.
1: Yeah. And it,
0: I, 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 you want me to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, nothing's wrong.
1: Yeah. And I've
0: poorly paraphrased the words, but uh, it's. Have to listen to it. It's really good because it's it's this whole let's be real with each other now. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a time and a place, I guess, and we've uh, yeah, many of us have gotten so comfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. that it's creating there's many of the problems probably that are coming mental health issues. Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: I there's a great book out there by Megan Devine, she has a great um social media presence and, um, but her book is called, it's okay to not be okay. And I love that title because that allows us to just be authentic and real. Now there's another side of that, um, that like probably, f- I think it was six weeks after Aiden died. I ha- I, it was the first time I'd ever been able to drive after my C-section. And so I got into the car. I was hell bent on going somewhere and I went to the grocery store with my daughter, Zoe, who was three at the time. And she's in the cart, and she has these adorable little red curls. And we're going through the the grocery store, and I get to checkout, and the checkout person says to me, "She's so cute. She needs a little brother or sister." Mm. And I like in that moment, like just fall. I was like, "She has a brother that died." Mm. And she, I've never seen someone bag groceries so fast in all my life. Like, no. she, she, like, won the Olympics that day for bagging <laughs> groceries because she was, like, and then she probably learned a lesson, right? Like, she learned a lesson to probably not say something like that. So part of my education in grief is to not only, um, you know, allow people to be who they need to be, but also as supporters and caregivers, what do we say to people that are grieving? What do we not say? To people that are grieving, I think that's a really important part of this. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, it, there's.
1: It, and you, Corey, you never said any of those things. by Well,
0: way. I probably have, and I may <laughs> still. Thankfully, <laughs> no, we have t- somebody that <laughs> you can and Sam are really
1: good at not saying those things.
0: <laughs> I still say some crazy things on these podcasts, and thankfully, we can edit a lot of that <laughs> stuff out. Um, I, I'm wondering too a little bit about the with what's gone on in the pandemic and mm-hmm. the masks thing and. Whether you're full pro mask, anti mask, mm-hmm. that's not the issue to me as much as the contact, the face-to-face contact. I travel; I still am mm-hmm. in aerpl- in airplanes, and nobody looks at each other anymore. No, and I
1: mean the phones already did that anyway, right? But that gets even worse. Oh, no, way worse. I,
0: I I find it awful because yeah. and now with the mask, and I, I mean I'm not necessarily a fan, and I'm okay if somebody feels like they need to wear a mask. I think everybody should get to choose. But one my one of my real problems is I like to connect with people. I want mm-hmm. to, to smile at you as we're yeah. walking past each other. And when we went to Ethiopia with our board, with the Board of Ash, yeah. just looking at the kids on the street, or not just the kids, the adults too, and smiling at them, their faces lit up mm-hmm. because they felt seen. Yeah. And I think that that's a big problem right now.
1: Yeah people just
0: they don't they don't feel like they even exist to some degree
1: yeah i think you're really right on i had to learn um when i was working in funeral service during the pandemic i had to learn how to communicate with my eyes as much as possible and convey that compassion through my eyes and really be aware of it and cognizant of it um i I think that we can still do that i think that there are things that we we might have learned from the pandemic that it, it also takes us a little bit of eye contact. Now, with teenagers, don't make too much too much eye contact. That <laughs> freaks them out. i got to say that. But, um, yeah, I think that sometimes we, we need that contact. We need somebody to hold our hand. We need somebody um, to just be there in the trenches with us.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. We yeah. spent some time reading a book uh, called Fierce Conversations Years Back in mm-hmm. Another Life and written by Susan Scott. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that always sticks with me is she says in the book, the conversation isn't about the relationship, it is the relationship. And so that sitting and actually connecting Mm -hmm. and not being distracted by phone or anything else, like be present in that moment. And it feels like that could change the dynamic for a lot of people that are struggling because it seems to be a bit of a lost art.
1: Yeah. We, um, I think that's partly why Zoom, um, we had the option, um, during the pandemic to either come in person or, and wear a mask or, um, do a, do a session over Zoom. And so many people chose Zoom because one, it was really convenient. And two, that you could see someone's whole face. Mm -hmm. And there was, there was that, you know, and not to mention when somebody is crying, which in a lot of my sessions, people are crying. And then that mask starts to stick to people's faces, and it just becomes like a giant snot rag. It's not attractive. People know that, <laughs> um, and so they're like, "Yeah, next time I'm going to do so."
0: That makes sense. And so, you know, there's a I think there's a lot of social issues that are going on. I don't think it's, it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, your clientele, uh, what what kind of things that are are you seeing? Is there a prevalence toward? some of the transgender issues? Are there mm-hmm. suicidal ideation? I mean, what, what does it run the gamut of for you?
1: Um, so I, I, I would say that I'm in um, St. Charles County, which is in Missouri and is a predominantly white uh, place. And um, I have, 50% of my practice is minorities. Um, and then also, you know, we do have a lot of um, the LGBTQ plus community in our practice. And I'm really actually really happy about that. Really proud to offer, you know, companionship to um, to those issues.
0: What is going on in the LGBTQ plus arena that you think is leading to so many people coming in?
1: I would say that... Um, I don't have the, the to date the current statistics, but that community has an incredibly high suicide rate, mm. and uh, transgender especially has a a large a, a large um, suicide rate. So, really, what we don't what we don't recognize is that just by addressing people by their their preferred pronouns is a, a way to prevent suicide. Uh. So wow. th- like when people are asking me how can I, you know, how can I be, how can I help people? Um just meeting people where they are is where we can where where we can do that and and not having any judgment. And so that I would say that's the biggest issue is hopelessness. You know, self-harm is a is a very large component.
0: And is it is the hopelessness coming from feeling like not being accepted or is it afraid to say who you are or gosh it's something. so many
1: things i mean it's it's so many things but i think even in their own bodies there's what they say what they call is body just dys, body dysmorphia, dysmorphia? Yeah. and uh-huh. and not wanting like, like looking at their bodies and hating it no matter what other people see um and so that's that's a real so even if they have real acceptance and their support systems a lot of times that's that's hard to you know, I think that that's hard as, is, is, you know, in the heterosexual with men and women, like that we we have a hard time accepting our bodies. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of, and that's why I, I work with so many people that are dealing with eating disorders as well. I think that that you know we have to come to this radical self acceptance.
0: So going back to the to the social issues and some of the mm-hmm. maybe the health mental health issues. In the LGBTQ plus arena. And before we go talk about some of the eating disorder issues. Yeah. It, you, you hit on this idea of body dysmorphia. And I know there's an external social acceptance issue. Yes. And there's there I think I'm hearing you say there's an internal acceptance issue too. Yeah is that am i understanding you right when you talk about that
1: yeah uh, when we talk about and i um when you're talking about that internal process i think that so many people in that community feel like in the transgender community especially feel like their body has betrayed them and so um that's 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 really important to address and and just like just the way we were talking about the grief part um so much of this is just getting this out in the open and working through those through those and and, and normalizing it and and debunking it and saying yeah that, that that's mm-hmm. that's really common um, and that's okay and and so let's work on some ways to have these positive affirmations about yourself that you love and work on those and so
0: does the internal acceptance, lead to an easier uh, ability to accept whatever's going on externally and Mm -hmm. let me be careful because I'm not trying to say that mental health issues are are Mm self-inflicted I really am just in in your practice because there's an there's external issues that have to be addressed and fixed too but is that a big part of the healing and almost creating a little bit of I'll say bulletproofness or insulation.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I don't think that anybody. I I mean I don't think that you've had an easy journey. I don't think that I've had an easy journey. I don't think that life is easy. Well, we've all got right? story. We've you know. all got stuff. And so to say that some something makes it easier, I I don't know if that's really the that's right language. Yeah. And I don't. Um, but I do think that um, we can just meet people where they are and and sit with them. And help them feel validated, and that will that in any, almost every every case, whether it be grief or suicide or any kind of issue, when you sit with somebody in that trench, and you hold their hand, and now let me be clear, I'm not like physically holding their hand, but when you hold their hand emotionally, and say I'm here, and you can say whatever you want in here, and it's gonna be okay, then that that lets people be okay with themselves. Mm-hmm. In a way, you know, so I do think that that and and then people feel empowered. I I, for my own story, I can say that, you know, um, when I realized that I needed to leave my my marriage and I was a shell of a person, I had to work on building myself up and having this radical self-acceptance about where I was and how my life wasn't going to look the way I wanted it to look. and My family wasn't going to look the way I wanted it to look. But it empowered me, too. I, th-
0: I wonder sometimes if we, we get caught up in the idea of... We think we... We have an idea of how we think things should go. Yeah. And when they're not going that way, first of all, we sometimes feel some shame. We put some personal shame sure. on ourselves. And then we probably have some put on us by the outside world at times. Sure. Uh, and... Paul says it, he said, if our hope is in this life alone, we're the most pitiable of men, should have added men and women. Mm-hmm. And, be, and this, there, there's a, how do we find the fine line between holding on to, you know, being able to hold on to and hold to beliefs and know this and that can be true in other yeah. words. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no. I totally I'm like there's it's space for both. make me cry cuz I think that that's the truth for everything. Like I think that you know, no different than when we were um you you and Summer and myself and we were all praying for Aiden to, to be healed, right? Mm-hmm. And we were all praying that that um he would uh live and uh, and uh and, and be a great man. And, um, so it didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. And that was a tragic loss. And that was, and I still, I can make meaning of my journey and make meaning of, of what's happened. I still would like for him to be here. Uh, I did have, I did, um, I did have a dream for like a year after Aiden died. I don't think I've ever told you this, but I had a dream consistently for a year that I, literally raised Aiden from the dead, mm. went and dug him up and raised him from the dead. And every time I did, he would say, mom, why'd you, why'd you do that? Like, I loved it where I was like, I'm good. I'm mm. good. And I, and really I was raising him the dead for me. Um, and so um, I I think the hard part about being in the church community and being in any community for that matter is that we try and make meaning of other people's journeys
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: And and we try and make meaning too soon for them. And so, I think I've made meaning of mine, and I think you've made meaning of yours. But sure, I sure as heck would to try and put meaning on yours. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I do totally. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm in town this week. My my dad's in hospice, uh, and you know, he was like your son, whose name was appropriate. Aiden means the fighter, if I yeah. remember yeah. Cor- correctly. Yeah. Uh, my dad's always been a fighter, and he's not quite ready to, to give up, And but his body was really depleted from the chemo. just It didn't yeah. handle it well. He's yeah. thankfully not in pain. And You know, I'm in town this week, and I get to, to be in our offices, which I enjoy, and kind of bounce back and forth from that. And people ask me, hey, how are you doing? And this is back to your dream. You know, I actually feel like I'm in a good place because... I believe my dad knows where he's going. And I believe he's going to be glad when he gets there. And I say, if we knew where we were going, we'd be, we'd all be, we'd want out of here now. Because there's a lot of stuff that goes on here that just isn't, frankly, that much fun.
1: Yeah, to put it lightly.
0: And you still (laughs) see the other side. I mean, you watch, I'm watching my dad's body decay. And that's no fun. Yeah. And it doesn't. It doesn't have to be all bad. And, and oh, I'm yeah. that's I'm not trying to project yeah. way, the way I look at it, the way that's how everybody else should look at it. Yeah. And there's a truth to the fact that you know you know where Aiden is. Yeah. And you believe it and your dream in many ways confirm that like, "Hey mom, it's okay. Let yeah. let me go. I'm good." Yeah. That, and it and I wasn't mean, ready. It doesn't I wasn't, mean you move on, though, as right. you said.
1: Oh, yeah. It's different. And I and I do think um, that, you know, I worked in hospice for many years, and hospice is all about finding meaning. It's all about um, reconnecting. And, and uh, so I, I'm sad that your dad is having that experience, but I'm also glad that your family is able to have that rich time.
0: For sure. Yeah. And I mean, we were in. We got to go to the beach at Christmas time together, and yeah. he was. You know, you could tell that he was fading. And
1: you guys all look so good in those pictures. Oh, uh, so that was nice. But yeah,
0: there were there were once I went up to the condo that they were staying in. My mom and dad and my one one of my sisters was staying in a condo together, and my sister and her husband and son were staying in another condo. And so I went over there, brought some groceries, and. I was like, "Oh man, I know he's in there by himself because everybody else is gone." I didn't want him to, have to get up; didn't have a key. I'm like, "That was dumb. I should." But long story short, I—excuse me—I go in and and I uh, put these, start putting these groceries away, and I turn around, and he's falling, and I'm, it's like in slow happening in slow motion. And he's falling backwards. I'm like, oh, and he fell sort of against the wall, and I'm like, "Dad, what are you doing?" He's like, "I thought there was a chair behind me." And it just, it it's, was mm. such an awareness to me of how the mental, that's there's a lot, a lot not as much clarity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, but even in that, the time was sweet. When we got done, he's like, that was the best trip I've ever been on in my life. And it's like, wow, you know, there's something amazing happens when we are forced to slow down mm-hmm. and just engage and have real conversation. And He's been given a gift in many ways because he can see that we're not made very aware sometimes that our time is close. Yeah. And so we've been given a gift in that too. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: so as hard, difficult as it is, yeah.
0: And the, the people yeah. are amazing and they've been amazing. And yeah. I was hearing a story about a friend who... The hospice folks brought in somebody to play the the cello yeah. as her as his mom was passing, and so mm-hmm. she got to hear the cello being played the last couple hours of her life. And mm-hmm. those things are great for that person who's dying, but they are also mm-hmm. really meaningful for us. So, yeah. so uh, this idea of eating disorders it, it seems to be prevalent right now, mm-hmm. uh, and. I don't know if this is fair, but if it's attributable to some of the lack of control that we have going on in the world around us, but can you want to talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing there? Yeah,
1: so um, I think that a lot of times eating disorders have a comorbidity of obsessive compulsive disorder, so like that's something to just kind of shell, you know, compartmentalize for a minute. Um, but, um, so when things are out of control, things are, you know, there's a big trauma component um to eating disorders usually um that that there's one thing that you can control and it's your your eating habits. And it's not necessarily um there is a lot of body dysmorphia in the eating disorder community. I, you know, would say that it's not all body dis- dysmorphia though. It's a lot of it is about controlling or it starts off as control and then morphs into something else. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's one of the deadliest um, mental health disorders that that we have in the United States.
0: The stats I've heard is that about ten percent actually yeah. end in, in death.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a um,
0: which is staggering, really. It's
1: very difficult to treat, and it's ongoing, usually life ongoing, um, which is difficult to to hear because I my family's been touched by that um, by eating disorders, so. I think that um, we've noticed. I think this was in a, a documentary recently, but in 2006, with introduction of social media, they were finding that um, 10 to 11 year old girls were self harming because they didn't like their bodies. They are comparing. You. When we were kids, um, I know we're so old, but when we were kids, like we compared ourselves to the prettiest girl in school. Well, now they compare themselves to the prettiest girl in the world.
0: Mm, which- so. Isn't real, which doesn't who doesn't even look like she really right, it's looks. it's not stronger. even real.
1: It's not right. even real. It's been you know, uh, you know, airbrush and lighting crews and makeup and the whole bit. I mean, if we carry those around with us, we look fantastic all the time. Um,
0: well, you don't need that. I probably would, but uh,
1: <laughs> the yeah. point is, is that like we're fighting an uphill battle.
0: Yeah, you know, and of course, there's the the. A documentary The Social Dilemma and I, I was mm-hmm. going to say it is such a social dilemma yeah. and as a parent you know you go you're, when your kids get to a certain age you realize you're sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't which is mm-hmm. provide them with, with phones that yeah. they have social media access because it is the way our kids connect Right. Yeah. and are you doing them more harm than good well I might say more harm than good but it's still really a a challenging fine line to walk
1: it is and I also think that a lot of times our kids pick up things um that from their parents that we don't even realize that what we're doing I was always very as a mother of girls I was always very careful about not shaming my body in front of them or shaming their bodies but I also had an inner dialogue that was pretty easy to read Um, I mean, I was, you know, even in my, you know, when my, when, before my divorce, I, and I don't want to talk about anything that's going to be really triggering to other people that are listening to this, but I was counting, you know, I had, was counting calories and stepping on the scale every day. And, and because I honestly have um, obsessive compulsive disorder tendencies, like I was stuck, uh, very much stuck in all of those, those behaviors. And my, my children witnessed that. So I think it's it's really important for us to like that's where that radical self acceptance comes in and I'm very um, I try and love all the parts of my body that I don't love like I, and I there's also this other trend now that doesn't seem it doesn't seem very authentic to be like I love my stretch marks and I love this part <laughs> about me and and so now they're coming out with more of a body neutrality of like. Um, I may not love my legs, but they get me from A to B, and they do great things for me. And that has it. And if we can model that behavior as parents, and be you know be exercising for stress management and for our hearts and our bodies versus changing our bodies, that's gonna be a that's that's gonna be a step up for our children.
0: Don't you think it comes back a little bit to this idea that this and that can be true, and you know, you can not like something about yourself, and still like who you are, and still like mm-hmm. overall mm-hmm. your body, and and you know those mm-hmm. kind of things. So it doesn't make everything else not true. Yes. That's
1: the, that's the whole thing about cognitive behavioral therapy is that all or nothing thinking doesn't really get us um, get us anywhere. Mm-hmm. And trying to kind of debunk that or challenge that those cognitive distortions of, you know, I don't I. I don't like this part of my body so I don't like any of it. Um, you know, that's not that's not really fair to ourselves.
0: What would you say to parents that uh, as you talked about, you know, it's easy for us to fall into and my wife and I've done it like, hey, we're getting older, you know, our metabolisms changing, we need to maybe be careful about what we eat or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, have be more in moderation at certain times or whatever. Mm-hmm and it might be easy for somebody hearing this to think well i've been doing that oh my gosh i did this to my child mm. what would you say to oh, a parent goodness. like that
1: so we um i think it's important to always look at the any mental health um mm. in this vein of when um some, some when a child gets cancer everyone rallies around that child and i i as they should um rallies around that child and no one blames the parents for that child getting cancer any mental health disorder we immediately blame parents we immediately look at them and say well what how did you mess this up you know and that's not that's not necessarily fair this i think that so many times all this is a perfect storm of events that happens and um you know you you have attachment disorders along with trauma along with maybe some eating habits that that weren't healthy and then it just went it it becomes a slippery slope Mm -hmm. so I think the first part is to one, take responsibility, but not take all of the responsibility to take, you know, take onus on your own, like your own habits, your own kind of, um, I think that's why it's important. I mean, I think every parent, I mean, I think every parent should be in therapy. I think every counselor should be in therapy. Like, I, I don't think. People wait until something tragically happens, and they're like, "Oh, I need to get into therapy." And then what happens is we work on something that the tragic part of whatever they came in for, that presenting action. But then we start unpacking all this other stuff, and so I, I, I think that we have to have again radical self-acceptance, and that but then also take responsibility mm-hmm. and and try and model. You know, try and model those behaviors. I think that it's those healthy behaviors. I mean, yes, we our metabolism will slow down. I think that we have a, an issue with not wanting to look old, though. I mean, that's, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, I I remember looking at my my grandmother, and she was beautiful, and she she was beautiful, and she she always put her face on. She always said that I put my face on, and and but like she didn't get a lot of you know cosmetic surgery. She didn't, you know, she she was chubby and and loving and just more to love so um i i i don't think that that the younger generations necessarily they're going into that 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 older age kicking and screaming
0: yeah which is a whole nother it, slew
1: of social issues it but, is yeah.
0: and i think what i'm hearing you say re- relative to the parents is look that you can take responsibility It don't take all the blame mm-hmm. it's uh, were my wife and I talk about this and I probably say this to her more cuz I say listen we could be perfect parents mm-hmm. it doesn't mean perfect kids right and we're not going to be perfect parents we're going to do it wrong yeah. and even you know we're not no no person is perfect so we're all on a journey we're all right. on a different journey and we want to insulate our children from hurt and despair and negative Feelings and relationships, and that's not real life. Right. And who we are is developed from the challenges as much as the, probably more so than from the walking on the path without mm-hmm. getting bumped and bruised.
1: Yeah. We're, uh, I think that we're trying to build resiliency in our children. That's really the goal is to build resiliency. And this new word that's big and fancy and you can Im- impress your friends at dinner parties is neuroplasticity. Is like making sure that we are able to adapt to change, and that's there's all kinds of things you can do to uh, to increase your neuroplasticity. It's something as simple as like doing a puzzle or, um, you know, do trying something new, trying a new sport, um, trying a new exercise routine, whatever that is. But like that's some to me, that's one of my goals as a parent for my children is to increase their resilience and increase their neuroplasticity, and then by doing so, then we'll you know we're not going to see mental health go away like that's like but part of this is just the awareness and talking about it and like this is coming to the forefront where we can finally talk about it
0: mm. let's say talk about access uh yeah you know the the one thing that i hear and from friends with experiences or some of the things that are that hit close to home for us are it's not easy to no. find somebody a to talk to maybe a is somebody qualified to talk to and then b when you find that qualified person to be able to get in and talk to them yeah. it's it is it a function of lack of professionals it is a more of a function of such a so so many people with challenges yeah. or probably some of both but
1: i think uh when you're talking about access it's it's two things it's um lack of qualified professionals um There's a lot of people, I I joke around, I do a lot, I have a lot of interns that come through the Center for Hope and Healing, and I have a real uh, heart to help people through that because the one thing that they don't teach you, and I think there's two things that they should, that they're missing in programs, and one is self-care, like that should be like taught all through the entire program of your master's program uh, and licensure and all those things. Um, But the other thing is entrepreneurship and people that are counselors usually are terrible business people terrible um don't and thankfully i have a good business coach and a good like i have some i when i know i can't do something i get people in place that can help me and so um that has helped me tremendously but i do think that they're because of that you see a lot of counselors that get out of the field because they're burnt out and they don't know how to like running a business is too much and they don't or they work for an agency that that overbooks them and, and takes advantage of them. So they they go and no offense sell sell insurance and so they they because they, 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 it's too much insurance, yeah. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah, anybody that's selling insurance, um, so it's just a less stressful job. So um, and and the other part too is that I, something that I if I go on vacation I never tell people that I'm a counselor. Because you go to sit by the pool, and you say you're a counselor, and before you know it, you have someone telling your life story. So I always, like, I heard that in a a seminar one time, they said, always tell people you sell insurance, which I thought wasn't good. (laughs) People don't, people don't want that, so they just, like, move on. But, um, so I think it's lack of, lack of um, providers um, is a huge part. Like, I, for instance, right now, have a five-month waiting list, Um, and then, and that's the way everybody is. I w- went to call and refer and, and they had it on their voicemail that said, um, you know, we have right now we have a four month waiting list. So that's that's definitely an issue. The other part, I think, is um, coverage um, like insurance. is. Or I'm sorry. Um, that is why I have always decided to be um, a, a provider for insurance is because so it makes it more affordable for people. And my uh, general session is one hundred and twenty five dollars. Cash pay that's that's a lot for a lot of people sure. and yeah, so that's why I've always you know and of course when you're dealing with insurance you're not getting that you're not getting that and you're not um, and you're waiting several weeks to get a payout and the turnaround and the paperwork is all a hassle but I really believe in making mental health care accessible for as many people as possible and that's why we do sliding scale we do we and we have in the center, we have people that are kind of of all different. Um, have dif- you know? They may be an intern, or they may be uh, a provisionally licensed, and that way we can offer price points for everyone. Um, that say, okay, well, you know, you may not be able to. F- you what can you afford? You can afford forty dollars. Okay, here's somebody here.
0: So can can that be dangerous from the standpoint of does less money mean less qualified and is it is it better to be you know i get to talk to somebody mm-hmm. than even if they're not as qualified then i have to pay more to talk to somebody who sure. has the background training life experience
1: sure i think the one thing about the couns you know counseling and social work in general is that everyone is always being supervised always I, I consult with somebody on my cases that that um, I mean I'm not officially being supervised, but I have a group of people that I meet with on a, a regular basis, and I'm like, this case is really, you know, really stumping me. What do I do with this? Do you have any suggestions? And we do, we'll talk about cases, and we'll and and I don't, I I mean I see that in the medical industry, but I don't see that across the board in every, but counseling and social work, uh, for the most part, I think are always so. The people that are less quote unquote less qualified are seeking supervision and talking with those and you know and and talking with somebody that's much more qualified okay. and um and and learning from other people that are qualified that's the only way you learn you know and and a lot of the times I, I will say this is that you can't you can't teach empathy so um there are people that get into the counseling arena or social work arena, and they have all the interventions, and they, you know, all of they—they they are a walking book, but they can't sit with people. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's when you put them in management or something. I don't know. <laughs> Bedside <but, laughs>
0: manner, <laughs> yeah, etiquette.
1: But I, I just, uh, I, you know, I, and I think that a lot of times people look at that industry as people that are in, in the industry. There's a lot of narcissism. In, in the industry. So you have to be careful of that too. So
0: where does that come from?
1: We have to get a lot of education. Um, I mean, we have, and, and I think that um, is,
0: is there a, a, as a therapist, does one become narcissistic or because yeah. they think they, they help all these people or is it because they are already, and yeah. this is just bringing... it's probably
1: like the the chicken or the egg. It's probably hard to like kind of differentiate, but I do think that it's 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 a lot of people there's a lot of control there's a lot of you know i I walk with with a manner that's really really humble, but there's i I've seen other counselors who are like, man you gotta get your stuff together and um saying that to clients so yeah. i mean i like I just think that um yeah, you just have to be careful. There's a there's a lot of people out there that that don't have the best intentions.
0: So my wife and I know you good enough to know you're an open book. Yeah. And what's been the toughest part of your journey from you know where you would say, man, this is where things really got tough, and and it might be before you were, got married. I don't know, but
1: mm-hmm. you
0: no. Know, what's what was the, What's been the toughest part of your journey?
1: My goodness, um, I think it's. I think, it, I think you'll be able to relate to this, but it's one thing for you to go through difficult things and and feel like you have um, the grit to get through it, but when you see your children going through hard things, that has been the most difficult part. I think that that, that has been, whether it be estrangement from their dad or just um, some really difficult times that they've gone through, I, I, can, I can deal with my own stuff but when you see your own children going through stuff that that's been the most difficult part by far
0: so when there there's a realization that oh man my son or daughter daughters in my case yeah. are are going through something and you become aware of it it what do you tell what would you say to a client mm-hmm. that first time like where do you go where where is the jumping off point of oh man I, this is really hit this is really hard because it's not me i i would take that cross mm-hmm. all day i'd take yeah. that burden all day long mm-hmm. so how do you start out in a point with managing what is something that's probably going to be you know really tough yeah. to compartmentalize or say okay it's not happening to me you yeah. get the question
1: yeah so my um i think it's about developing a culture of acceptance and also just being a listener, uh, especially with teenagers, just being a listener and observer. Um, I have told my kids since they started therapy, they started, they started therapy when I started going through the, when I separated and, and they all had their own counselors. And I think it's important. Like I also am a musician and I tried to teach my daughter Zoe piano lessons when she was five. And then she she was playing the piano and then she said, "Mom, no, mom, you have it all wrong. You don't, you're not doing it right. And so, and I had a college education in music. So um, that's when I knew it was time to get her a, a piano teacher. Right. And I think that's the same for counseling too. Like just because I'm a therapist doesn't, I, I, I spend a fortune on therapy for myself and for my kids because that's a priority. And I've joked around with people in session and also with my own kids that, you know what, you can get loans for school, you can't get loans for therapy. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I'm, you know, uh, you, have, you have therapy funds, you may not have college funds, but you have therapy funds. And I think that that, I, we kind of joke around tongue in cheek um, about that. But um, I think it's important for them to have that self-awareness and for them to, th- this is just setting them in that trajectory of the coping skills that they'll need in life but they'll, the, I mean, I think that my kids, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a therapist, like, I think we'll all be in lifelong therapy, like, m- me and my children.
0: You know, we we use the word therapy, and yeah. therapy probably comes with a negative connotation. and yeah, I hate that. It, which is unfortunate, yeah. you know, and we are, probably as a society, especially, you know, as a man, we tend to hold things in, and you, we, we host a, a a men's golf retreat, and mm-hmm. It sounds funny because it's a great way to get men to show up when there's golf involved. Yeah, and we do small group sessions and, and large group sessions. And after a while, people people realize this: the, the golf is fun, but it's not what they say that was the best part of those three days. And therapy isn't just, you know i i'm a mess and i need help although we're the ones who can't admit they're a mess and need help are probably the mo- yeah. most messed up but it's about you know uh, let's be you know a chance to be real have real mm-hmm. conversation and not internalize everything and ha- you know maybe it's how do we move from the stigma of therapy sure to
1: i think that we're on um, we're just on a good to just because i have kids that come into my office when i say kids i'm talking about teenagers that we do walk therapy. We will, we, we don't sit in a chair because honestly, I don't know about you, but my kids talk the most when I'm driving in the car. Like that's when I'm not making eye contact with them and they can like kind of look at other things. And that's when things come up is when they're just like kind of looking at the scenery and Hey mom, this happened today. Um, and so I have recognized that in teens. And so we, there's a lot of lot that I, and I have a, I'm really lucky to have an office that's Private and I can we can take walks on private streets that are it's and it's really beautiful. It's an old old a historic part of Saint Charles, so it's really that part is I feel really lucky. But that what that's we're trying to debunk those like traditional Freudian. You lay on the couch and I sit here with a clipboard. Like that's not really what therapy is anymore. We're trying like it's my prefrontal cortex meeting with your prefrontal cortex, and and we're gonna like hash out like some, some, some stuff. And a lot of times that's not. There's so many other techniques that are coming out where, you know, maybe you know you. There, I've seen where people are um, incorporating yoga into their practices and using some somatic body experiences like you know doing a body scan before you sit down as to like okay where are you feeling tension in your body let's talk about that where do you think that comes from like that's that, that it's not just like okay sit down tell me all your trauma like it, it it doesn't work that way so um i think that therapy has gotten a a bad rap because people think that it's like where you go when i mean we have we have show or movies like one flew over the cuckoo's nest and and people think that like, you know, oh, I had to go to therapy so I don't go to the quote unquote loony bin, which we are starting to change very slowly those things about mental health and what we think and the stigmas. And so it's but it's a process where we're working on it.
0: And it, it needs to change for, for us as a society to get healthier so that it's not, you know, things like eating disorders and things like suicidal ideas there's not some shame involved or transgender issues or whatever there shouldn't be shame attached to it it should be uh, one condition one situation isn't worse quote-unquote worse than another it just is and we all go through different things in life our journeys are different as I get older I realize you know it Just because something didn't go the way I wanted it to doesn't mean it didn't go the way it needed to. And you develop character, you develop, you become who you are, you grow into your role, Mm -hmm. um, whether it's your professional sphere of influence, uh, as a parent, as a friend, as uh, whatever vocation you're in. And it's, it's developed from the challenges that you go through. And so we have sure. to, I, I know that I can pray and pray. Sometimes when I'm at my best, I walk and I pray. I walk my block and I pray. And, and you can I can go through periods where like I feel like I'm praying and you don't feel like you're seeing any movement. Mm-mm. And sometimes it's, it's months and years later where you go, ah, oh, there was stuff at work. And it, it, you know, mm-hmm. and it this isn't how I would have drawn it up, but we wouldn't be here if it if if it hadn't have gone the way it did. That I didn't necessarily like it at the time. Does that? Yeah,
1: totally. I also look at prayer, meditation, mindfulness, all of that as pain management. Like I look at it as like sometimes we're not praying to have something answered, but we're praying to calm our calm our souls, mm-hmm. to calm the anxiety that's within. Um, And that's something that's really... And and so we think, oh, our prayers didn't get answered, but I know that prayer helped me through Aiden. Like, that helped me in the night when I was, like, not feeling him kick and they were telling me, like, maybe he's dead. And that, that would, that prayer would help me, that would calm me, that would make me feel more centered. So it's never not a good thing, you know?
0: Right, well, David in the Psalms... It, so much of it is just crying out without mm-hmm. answers and just, deliver me please. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it isn't necessarily, uh, it, although some of Psalms is praising God for for what he did not, and what yeah. he brought David through. But other times it was just the genuine crying out, like this just is fair. more than I can handle yeah. and somehow get me through it. And yeah, the pain management is uh, something that, I think it's it's worth conveying and hoping that the message comes through that we all have to get to a place that is healthier
1: mm-hmm.
0: and if we ignore or we compartmentalize or we don't deal with that pain, then
1: it'll it, come up it, it
0: just it just manifests right
1: I do think we're making progress because maybe not so much in our generation but in the younger generation i am seeing a trend of when i go through like our my informed consent which i talk about confidentiality and the limits of confidentiality and i will say because we live in a a relatively small community i'll say look if i see you at target like i'm not going to come up to you like if you want to come up to me that's fine Um, but I'm never, cause then if I come up to you with your friends and then you're like, oh, that's my therapist. Like, I, like maybe you don't want people to know that you have a therapist and all of people that like the younger generation is like, oh, everybody has a therapist. Like every, it's fine. Like, it's fine. Like, I don't care. You can come up to me anytime, you know? And, um, so I was, well, I won't, but just, (laughs) just to make, so I, I think that we're getting to a place where it, we're we're uh, letting go of the stigmatization of it working to a place of better mental health which is going to increase our you know better physical health too
0: pendulum swing yeah and it's probably swinging now in a way that uh, has our children this. are <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> aware of you know what this isn't a bad thing Mm-mm. and you know my parents are a mess so i need to talk to somebody <laughs> all right yeah you know. See, I will one day be- your your children are going to say
1: that about you two, everybody so needs a person yeah You know, everybody needs a person that doesn't really know you. I mean, you know my background. You know what I, you know, kind of the, we know each other. And so I'm going to, I'm not going to like tell you everything because I'm afraid you might judge that. Even though you're like one of the least judgmental people I know. But, but a therapist, I can leave it all there and go about my day. Mm. There's something really, and then hopefully she's going to give me some, some tangible skills to walk away with it oh yeah and she has through the years so that's the whole everybody needs a person you know
0: yeah no doubt yeah. well i i appreciate the way you're helping make the pendulum swing and Thank you. and moving the needle and you've got some blog sites websites you want to sure. share those yes
1: um so i write a couple blogs it's uh a monthly and it's hopeandhealingcounseling.com you can go to the website and get that information there along with that's where that's where the center for hope and, and healing. And they'll find your blog and, site, Your yeah. blogs on that site. He- site.
0: Hope and Healing
1: Counseling. Counseling. .com. Yeah.
0: That's fantastic. Thank I would you. encourage everybody to go there. And uh, it's it's been a great great time sitting down with you and having the conversation and I appreciate you sharing some of the hard things that you shared and just being real with us and and I'm really hopeful that the stigma continues Mm -hmm. to diminish and those people that have been ignoring the need to get some help and reach out for help are emboldened to to do so just hopefully from this conversation.
1: I hope so too.
0: Thanks so much for having me Corey. Appreciate it Kristen. Thank you. The conversation around mental health is one that we need to have more often I think and it's one that I feel personal like we need to start to address and attack more and the conversation with Kristen was was valuable in I think a whole lot of ways and I feel like it's a great jumping off point for something that we're going to spend more and more time on. There are so many challenges in life and we all walk through a lot of stuff, a lot of crap sometimes and of course there are great and high moments in life too and we realize I think and we appreciate the high moments and the great moments where we're on the mountaintop more when we go through stuff and we realize how hard it is to get to certain places and, and to, to, to realize a victory in our lives. And uh, that doesn't diminish the fact that mental health is, is a real issue that needs to be addressed. So this is a jumping off point. We're going to attack it more. And uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, and for so many reasons that we spent the time with Kristen today. And hopefully you were able to glean something of value from it and we'll look forward to being with you again next time on Running Eyes.